Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. I know it's beautiful outside, and so thank you for being here. I, uh, I think that it's, it's an amazing thing, yes, but it's, it's such a, a privilege and an honor whenever, wherever, however, we are able to gather together in the name of Jesus. Because when we come together and we celebrate and we recognize and we believe and we trust in who Jesus is, and we're, when we are centered on that trustworthiness and faithfulness of his word, then amazing things happen. And so thank you for being here today. I believe that the Lord himself is who calls us together. I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's an accident that you're here today. I think that our Lord Jesus has something to say to each one of us today in this place. But when we think about, I said trust, trust the word. But when we think about this idea of trusting, especially the word of someone else, how well do we typically do at that? I mean, this is just a little time, a little check-in here. How do we do when someone makes promises to us in terms of trusting and believing that those promises are true? Well, we probably could all share a lot of stories of great disappointment in that area, couldn't we? Because the reality is it's, it's even maybe now more than ever difficult to believe somebody when they say something right? Are they really going to live up to whatever it is they've said? And I'm not just talking about like the, the big things. I'm talking about even the little things too. I mean, I can tell you this much. After almost 23 years of marriage, I know that there, I've learned, I've learned that there are certain phrases that if I say those things, it creates sort of instant suspicion in my, what? I don't even know where you are, but okay, there's, there she is. So my wife, Tammy, if I say these things, and these are things like if I say, well, I'm not almost kind of afraid to say it now. If I, if I say, I've got it covered, that's a big no-no. If I say, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it, that's no good either. Or how about this one? Maybe some of you can relate to this one. I know where I'm going. The alternative version of that one is when she asks me as we're driving, do you know where you're going? Now, it's almost like the world stops rotating for just that moment when I think about how to answer that question. And I've learned if I say, I think so, you've never seen the GPS come out faster. I mean, she's, she's already got it, like right when she doesn't think I can see it, but it's ready to go at a moment's notice because she knows. If, if I say, oh, yeah, trust me, I'll, I'll get it taken care of. That sometimes, depending on the circumstances, most of the time it has to do with projects around the house. That's kind of where I've got my track record, my biggest track record. Because when I say I'll take care of it on the home projects, well, I like to maybe take care of it. How can we get this done the fastest way that we possibly can? She's more of the, let's try to actually do it right. And so I kind of have adopted my, or adapted my strategy. Uh, the, the one thing that comes to mind is, uh, not, not this last winter, but the winter before, and our, the way our house is configured, if, if, if all the conditions match up and the stars align, we just get these massive ice dams, right? And then we, I had this huge uh, snow and snow, and then it rained on top of the snow. And so uh, look out there, the ice dams everywhere. And she says, 
well, Bob, what are we going to do about this? And I said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it, right? So how did I take care of it? Well, step one, wait till Tammy's gone, okay? So did that. Step two was grab my son Carter and say, all right, we got it. We got probably 45 minutes to get this figured out. So what are we going to do? And so we hatched this genius plan where we got the ladder out. We leaned it up against the thing. And the plan was, I'm going to go up on the roof with a shovel and we're just going to get this taken care of, right? Now there's ice all over the place. This was a terrible idea, but so I get the ladder, you're holding the ladder, say, oh, Carter, you've got to hold the ladder, because I don't, you know, so he's holding the ladder, I get to maybe the second rung on the ladder, and all of a sudden, the ring doorbell, bing, this is a terrible idea, what are you doing? It's Tammy's on the doorbell. This is the miracle of technology, folks, somebody's always watching, uh, so there she is, don't do what you're about to do, so we had to abandon ship on that. So, like I said, there's, there's some reasons why maybe she's a little bit suspicious about the things that I say. And maybe for you, you know, if certain people tell you, uh, if they give you, give you their word on something, maybe there are certain people in your life that you think, well, if that person said it, then I would tend to kind of believe that's true. But if this other person says something, well, that's more like, hmm, might want to check into that a little bit more. We don't necessarily know, especially now, who we can trust, who we can believe. And so we just kind of have this, this natural suspicion that isn't without good reason a lot of the times. But what about when it comes to faith? What about when it comes to trusting the Word of God? Because we can say that we trust the Word of God, and we probably can say that because, well, we know that's the answer we're, suppo- we're supposed to say, oh, yes, oh, yes. But there's a big difference between saying that you trust the word and actually doing it, isn't there? There's a big discrepancy between those things. And so we want to look at this idea today about when it comes to trusting Jesus, what does that mean for you? What in your life do you need to trust Jesus more with than what you have been in the past? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, Jesus is coming to you and he's asking you to trust him that his word is sufficient, even when we tend to be a little bit suspicious that, well, maybe it isn't. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to look at that today, and we're going to be continuing in our foundation series. We're going through the Gospel of John together. We've made it to chapter 4. Uh, then we fast-forwarded to chapter 20, all through Easter there, and now we are going back to chapter 4 to pick up where we left off. But before we dive in today, let's just pray together. Let's ask the Lord to come and be with us in a way that it's not just for our information, but for our transformation. Pray with me. Heavenly Father... We thank you for gathering your body together. We know that it's by the power of your spirit that you have knit us together as a community. We ask now, Lord, that that you do your work in each of us, the only work that you can do. Lord, we're asking for transformation. We're asking for you to to kill the old and bring the new to life, that we might might come into this, this new creation with you, and follow you more deeply, and grow into deeper relationship with you, and trust you 
surrender to you like maybe we never have before. We know, Lord, that it's the power of your word that gets the job done. And so I just ask now in these moments that it not be my words, but it be your very word that, that transcends the, the stumbling and fumbling human language. And instead, it's your word that actually goes out, penetrates our hearts, and changes us from the inside out. Lord, we confess that we are inadequate. We cannot do this alone. We need you here, right here, right now. We ask that, uh, that you have your way in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you brought your Bible, John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, the scripture will also be on the screen. We're going to look particularly today, focus most of the time on verses 46 to 54, 46 to 54. But I have to kind of give you a little disclaimer. We are going to jump around a little bit because the gospel of John is a really amazing thing. And the way that different parts of it are connected together is, is always very interesting. And it's very rewarding for us to kind of uh, trace some of those connections and see how they help us better understand what's going on here. But so we'll be in, in uh, John chapter four. Uh, Quick reminder of where we left off in chapter 4 before Easter. We had spent uh, two weeks talking about this amazing encounter and experience that this Samaritan woman at the well had with Jesus. Remember now, it was so amazing because it was very unexpected. Uh, it was very surprising because the Jewish people and the Samaritans, they did not get along with each other at all. They avoided each other basically at all costs. And we talked a lot about why that is. But the point was that they avoided each other all the way to not setting foot in one another's territories if they could help it. And yet, the, what we talked about with the, this woman is that Jesus had, says he had to go through Samaria. Well, he didn't really have to. He could have gone around like all the other Jewish people would typically do, uh, but he didn't. He went through Samaria because he had a divine appointment that he kept with this woman that he wanted to meet at the well. And everything changed for her, but not just her alone, for her whole town. Because it says that after having this amazing encounter with Jesus, she then went and told all the townspeople about this, and then they came out to meet Jesus as well, and Jesus had stayed with them for two days. And then we're going to pick up right at verse 42 in chapter 4. Uh, this is from a few weeks ago. See if you remember this. The townspeople come and say, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now this last phrase is what I want you to, to remember. They received him as savior of the world, which is really quite something considering these groups of people were not technically supposed to really even talk to one another. And yet these Samaritans now recognize Jesus as savior of the world. Because the truth is that not all people will receive Jesus in the same way, right? That's not true just then. That's true for us right here and right now. We don't all receive Jesus the same way. And so Jesus tries to kind of give his disciples a little bit of a heads up on here. Let's pick up in verse 43. So after these two days, it says, after the two days, he left for Galilee. That's where he was ultimately headed. 
Then look at verse 44. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, this little parenthetical statement, this statement about a prophet is not received or a prophet is not welcome or a prophet is not honored in his own country, that's something that that sounds a little bit strange. And so I, I think probably the best example I could come up with, some of you are, I can see, are not old enough to quite experience, but I promise you, it's coming someday. Someday, if you've not already been, you will go or be invited to at least a high school reunion, right? What happens when you go back for the high school reunion? Well, the people receive you as whoever they knew you to be back then, right? They can't sometimes get past the fact that they knew who you were then and in terms of how they see you now. So they don't really, they're not able to separate those two things. And so that, maybe that gives you a little bit of an understanding of what it's like when Jesus is talking about a prophet going back to his hometown and not really being received the the right way, so to speak. Received for who you really are or who you have become. And so Jesus is kind of warning his disciples that he's not going to be received properly. Now, I think that's in direct contrast to what we just said. So the Samaritans received him as Savior. Again, keep that in mind. So how will the people from his own country, how will the people from his own area, how will they receive him? Now, Jesus, unlike maybe many of us, Jesus has effectively at least three hometowns because he was born in Bethlehem, And then he grew up in Nazareth. And then at some point as an adult, he moved to Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the the Sea of Galilee. And that's where he kind of set up shop for his public ministry. That was like home base. And so the point is that it wasn't just people in a little tiny area that knew him. He was known kind of all around the area. Oh, look, it's the carpenter's son, Jesus. You know, but, but not really beyond that. Oh, oh, look, uh, you know, th- Jesus is coming this way. There he is. There's that Jesus guy. But again, they're, they're only seeing him through the lens kind of, of of what they've experienced and known him to be in the past. But things are changing. Things are changing. L- listen to, to verse 45, the, the first part of this. It says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now, doesn't that give you a little bit of a sense of whiplash? Because we just got done saying the prophet's not going to be welcomed in his hometown. And now here we have the Galileans welcomed him. Okay, is this a mistake? What's going on here? Well, in order to understand a little bit more about why they welcomed him, take a look at the second part of verse 45. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Aha! Now we're starting to get a little bit better understanding of of why they welcomed him. They welcomed him because it wasn't so much about welcoming him as it was about welcoming the idea that he could do things for them. He could accomplish things. Now they had start, whether they were there and saw and heard or they had only heard about it. They knew that something was up 
with Jesus. He was doing amazing things. Signs, wonders, miracles, all of these words mean the same thing. John calls it signs. We'll get into why he calls it signs in a little bit. But Jesus was doing amazing things all along the way. So they, they knew that there was, well, something is now different about this Jesus. And so they welcomed him, not necessarily because of who he is, but because of what they thought he would do. They were more interested in the signs than they were the Savior. They were more interested in the signs than the Savior. Now we look at that and we think, well, that's just a problem for them. No, that's a problem for us too. It's a problem for us too. Because how much of our time in our relationship with Jesus do we spend focusing on the things we think Jesus can do for us instead of focusing on who he is, worshiping him, praising him for who he is? And of course, we know he does amazing things, but it's not supposed to just be this sort of tunnel vision where we think of it, it's just this little exchange, like a transaction of Jesus does this, I do this. No, Jesus wants a relationship with us. It's an ongoing, it's an ongoing, ever-deepening relationship that he wants with us. But do we want signs more than we want the Savior? Do, do, we, do we want the gifts and we could maybe take or leave the giver? That's what we need to wrestle with today. So of course, the people welcomed him. They welcomed him because it was to their benefit. I don't know if you've, you've ever read these stories or seen the stories on the news, but what happens when like uh, somebody in, in some place wins the lottery, right? They have overnight, they have friends they didn't even knew existed, right? Everybody wants to get close to somebody that they think can be of benefit to them. But they always, interestingly enough, still want everything to be on their own terms. And how is that in terms of our relationship with Jesus? Are we receiving him for who he is? Or are we trying to keep him at arm's length and say, well, I just want you to do these things for me. Are we more interested in the signs than we are the Savior? When it comes to signs, if you're familiar at all with the Gospel of John, uh, you probably know that there are seven signs. It's called the, the first 12 chapters of John. Well, first we have the prologue, and then we have what typically scholars refer to as the book of signs. And again, signs, miracles, we kind of exchange these words. They all mean the same thing. But there's these seven signs that, are, that John chose to write about. And I think that that's kind of deceiving because then it might, we might be tempted to think like, well, Jesus did seven miracles or seven signs, and that was it. But that's not what's happening here. Jesus was doing amazing things all the time. It's just part of who he was. It was part of how this was all unfolding. And matter of fact, John says as much at the very end of his gospel, all the way in chapter uh, 21, verse 25, Listen to this. Jesus did many other things as well. Here's where it gets interesting. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So Jesus was doing amazing things all the time. John chose to, wrote, to write about seven things in particular because they all help him with his goal which we talked about uh, last week and several times along the way, 
which is that the goal is that we read these, we share these, we study these, and then we believe and we receive and we trust that Jesus is who he says he is, the the Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah. That's why John is writing these particular signs. So this one that we're talking about today, this miracle that we're talking about today, is one that John thinks is very important for us to understand what this relationship and what this life of faith truly looks like. So again, the Galileans welcomed him because, I don't know if you caught that, it it talked about how they had been at the Passover festival and they had seen him do amazing things at the Passover festival. That is a reference back to John chapter 2 because in John chapter 2 in verse uh, 23... This is where it says, now while he was in Jerusalem, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So we don't know exactly what they believed, but they believed there was something special and unique about this Jesus that they didn't really know how or why, but they were curious They definitely were curious, and so they had seen this. So these are some of the same people, and even if they weren't there directly, they heard about these things. But then it gets more interesting as those verses carry on. So in John chapter 2, in verse 24, it continues and says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. In other words, he already knew why they were coming to him. He already knew why they were interested in him. Just like he knows, we can try to hide it all we want, but Jesus sees to our heart. He knows about our belief. He knows about our trust. He knows what we really think of him. We can say whatever we want out loud. Again, our words are not all that trustworthy. But when it comes to his word, his word is different. So we're going to continue to look at this. But he knew, Jesus knew why people were coming to him. He knew that people were more interested in the signs than they were the Savior. But signs, here's the thing with signs. Here's here's the thing with signs, miracles, wonders. They are all meant to point us to Jesus. They're meant to point us to Jesus. They're not meant for us to mistake them as Jesus, right? We can easily do exactly that. We start to worship the things that we see Jesus doing or the things we believe he can do instead of worshiping the Savior himself. We focus on the goodies and less on the giver. So this is, this is something that we all struggle with at, at one level or another, But it's a really important distinction. Ask yourself, even today in this moment, why are you seeking Jesus? Why are you here? What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? What do you hope in terms of your encounter, your experience with Jesus? What do you hope will be accomplished? Are you here to worship him for who he is? Are you here to grow in your relationship with him? Or are we looking for signs and missing the Savior? Are we just doing the same thing? Are we just looking for signs and missing the Savior? Now, I want to be clear. I also want to be careful here because what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we don't ask Jesus for what we need. Of course we do. 
Scripture tells us we're supposed to do exactly that. But here's the deal. That's not all we're supposed to do. That's not all we're supposed to do. Jesus wants more than that. He wants more than just a transactional relationship with us. He wants a relationship that continues to deepen and grow as we continue to be, I would say, brought more close, more, we're, we're in a more close relationship with him, yes. We're in a deeper relationship with, yet, with him, yes. And that is what he wants us to focus on, this growth and continued movement closer and closer to him. And so I don't know why you're here searching for Jesus today, but I can tell you this much. He is here, and he wants to meet you right now in this particular place. And so maybe, maybe you've got this desperate need right now. Maybe you're coming to Jesus, and you have this feeling of despair or desperation in your life when you think about all that's going on in our, not, not just in our world, but then in our country, in our communities, in even our own households, inside of our own families, when you think about all of the news that continues to be so bad, where do we find hope? Where do we find Jesus? Well, Jesus is always close, but especially he's always close to those that are brokenhearted and those who are hurting and those who are overlooked and those who are marginalized and those who are oppressed. He says exactly this. When he first starts his public ministry in in the Gospel of Luke, he quotes Isaiah in saying that he's come to set captives free. He's come to spread good news to the poor. And so if you're desperate and you're here and you're saying, Jesus, I am at the end of myself, well, then you're in the right place because I believe he has a word for exactly you today. As our faith grows, as we continue to follow him, then our relationship deepens. It shouldn't be something when we think of faith that we just think of, well, I got to that point and then that was the end. We shouldn't ever feel like, well, we've, we've got that checked off on the box. Yep, I committed my life to Jesus and that's the end of it. No, that's really the beginning of it. It's really the beginning of it. This this life and this journey of faith, as our faith grows, as our faith grows, our Savior becomes more real. Our Savior becomes more uh, of exactly who we need to do the kind of work that only he can do. Faith is what keeps us moving forward. Faith is what keeps us going wherever it is the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us. And it's that kind of growing and moving faith that we're going to find right here in John chapter 4 and verses 46 uh, to, to 54. We see this as this faith starts to, it starts to be planted, then it starts to be watered, and then it starts to grow, and then it starts to spread. And so I want to just read John uh, chapter 4, verses 46 to 54, and then we're going to make a few observations about this. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. 
And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man had heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, like I mentioned, there are all different kinds of reasons why people come looking for Jesus. And so I I hope you've been thinking about that now in these last few moments. Why are you looking for Jesus today? Are you you just curious? Have you heard a lot about Jesus and now you want to know more? Uh, Has Jesus been somebody that you have been hearing about your whole life and you've just really never taken that step to actually say, I want to be in a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're here today And this is the first time that you've ever heard about Jesus. Well, that's awesome. Because again, he's here and he wants to meet you now. But maybe you have just sort of stalled out in terms of your faith. Maybe your faith feels very stagnant. Maybe Jesus feels very far away from you. And maybe today is the day that you come back to him once again. Because he's here to receive you with open arms, not because of of what you've done or what you've tried to hide from him or how you've tried to keep him away, but because of who he is and because of how he continues to receive us and welcome us into his family when we believe and we trust in him. So maybe today is the day for you to come back into relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you are exactly what we were talking about. Maybe you today are coming with feelings of desperation, even despair. Maybe, maybe hopelessness has pushed you all the way from all the way into sorry. Maybe he has pushed you. Maybe whatever your life circumstances are have pushed you, pushed you all the way from being desperate into being in despair. Wherever you are at today, Jesus is here to meet you. Just like he met this official. This official is desperate. And that's what I want to take a look at. He's desperate. His son is sick and dying. And he's coming to Jesus in search of a miracle. He's coming to ask Jesus to do what he knows he cannot do himself. At first, though, it doesn't, I don't know if you caught this when we read it just a minute ago, but at first it doesn't seem like Jesus is terribly interested in helping at all, does it? If you look at uh, verse 48, you'll notice that Jesus says in response, this guy says, hey, come, Jesus, heal my son. Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now, this is a pretty strong rebuke, isn't it? I mean, that doesn't really make this guy probably feel all that good. doesn't make the people around him feel that good because the way the language is written, even though he's talking to this particular official, 
He's really addressing the whole group that was there gathered, just like he's addressing all of us here now as well. It's not just them. He's basically saying, like, if you're just coming to me to be your personal problem solver, then you're missing the point. In other words, he didn't entrust himself to be with them in that way because he knew why they were looking for him. And so for us, that's just as much you and me today. When we come to Jesus just looking for what he will do, then we're missing the point as well. So we think like, well, Jesus rebukes him and, and he's, he's done. He's, he's not going uh, to intervene, not going to help. This guy's going to go away uh, disappointed. But yet, Jesus gives him something. It's not something that the guy was asking for. It's not something that you and I were expecting. But Jesus gives him something. Look at what he gives him in, in uh, verse 50. Jesus says, go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. That is as clear of a promise as you will ever hear. It is absolutely clear. It's a promise from God himself. More, even better, it's a promise from the word of God. The word of God made flesh speaks this promise to this desperate official. The official was not given a sign to point to something else. The official was actually given a promise that is the thing itself. It's the word of God that actually does the work. It's the word that brings death to life. It's the word that, that takes sinners and creates saints. It's, it's the word of God that creates faith and trust where there was only desperation and despair before, which is just like what Paul says when he writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by Christ. So what does that mean? It means that when we hear the word of God proclaimed, Jesus opens our ears through the Holy Spirit, to receive the word, the promise of God that then gets deposited in our hearts and changes everything. We become a new creation. So it's not just the promise, words. It's that with the promise of Jesus, we are given faith to believe and to trust and to cling to that promise, knowing that it's true. That's what has happened with this official. He received this spoken word of promise. And look at his response, the second part of verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He took Jesus at his word. It sounds so simple, and yet it is simply amazing. It's amazing. Because remember, how much do we trust the words of one another? Not so much. And yet here we have this official. He walked 18 miles from his home where his son lay dying. He walks, takes him two days. He walks to find Jesus with the sole purpose of convincing Jesus to come back with him and heal his son. And all Jesus gave this man was his word. That's it. He gave him a promise. That's it. What faith this man must have had in that word. Now that was not faith that is what we 
commonly think of as faith when we think, well, if I can just talk myself into believing something that seems unbelievable, then that's what faith must be. No, faith is given through the promise of who Jesus is. It's given to us, so the faith that is given from God becomes then in us what grasps on to the truth of what has been promised. It's not us trying to talk ourselves into it. It's us trusting that Jesus is trustworthy. Okay? And so this faith, it's not something we can create through our own willpower. It's not something we can be, even be convinced of. It is something that is given to us when the promise of God is proclaimed. Faith is here. And so this official took Jesus at his word. He believed it. He trusted it. He clung to it. It's all he had. And it was more than enough. It's all he had and it was because... The word of God is powerful enough to deliver us from death itself. The word of God is powerful enough to deliver us from death itself. It's the word that does the work. Remember, when God created, he spoke things into existence. It's by the power of his word. His word does the work. His word has the power to raise the dead. And that's true Again, I don't know what your circumstances are, but that is true even when it doesn't work out the way that we want it to. Even when it doesn't go the way that we had planned out or the way that we would like it to be, that doesn't make it any less true. Because look here, Jesus didn't do it the official's way. This official says, come with me. Come with me now before my son dies. And Jesus doesn't go with him. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't do it this guy's way at all. Jesus did it his way, because Jesus is the way. He has a way of doing it that we might not always understand, we might not always appreciate, but he is faithful, he is trustworthy. Because he is the way, he has promised each of us that he will make a way for us. He will do the impossible. So will you trust him? Will you take him at his word? As we talk about these promises that that Jesus has given us right here, right now, he's promised not just for this official's son that he will live, he's promised to us that we will live. We were dead in our sins. And even in the midst of our betrayal and our rejection of Jesus, he came to us. He died for us. He was raised again to new life for us. He's won the battle. He's won the war. And we get to share in that victory. And so maybe today's the first time you share in that victory of Jesus. But maybe today is the first time in a long time. Or maybe it's the thousandth time. Jesus is here now. And he's saying that, No matter what, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter the circumstances of your life, nothing can ever snatch you out of his hand. Nothing can take you away from him. Nothing can separate you from him. Look at uh, verse 51. While he was, this is the official, while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. 
When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. So I just want us to put our, try to put ourselves into the shoes of this official. He leaves his encounter with Jesus after begging and pleading for Jesus to come and heal his boy. He leaves with nothing more than a promise. In other words, he left empty-handed and full of faith. He left empty-handed and full of faith because Jesus can do the impossible. But it didn't stop there either. It wasn't just that. It wasn't even just about healing this particular young boy. That, that's not where the story ends. Look at, uh, at ch- ch- chapter 4, verse 53. So he and his whole household believed. He and his whole household believed. It spreads. It doesn't stop. It doesn't get stalled out. It doesn't get stagnant with that particular individual or with that particular boy. The whole household believes. Now, why do they believe? Well, I want you to think about this. You got two groups of people, right? You got the, the group of the servants that are coming And they're walking, you know, it's like two trains leave the station. So you got one group of people coming to tell the good news that the boy's alive. Then you've got the official and whoever else, he was probably with some other people. They're coming to basically find out, well, what happened? They have no idea what happened. And they meet somewhere in the middle. And they exchange good news. All right? So the the group from the house says, hey, good news, the boy is living. And the official tells the other group, let me tell you how this happened. I went and I pleaded and I begged with Jesus to come with me. And all he did was speak this word of promise and that's all it took to heal this kid. My boy lives because of the promise of Jesus. He tells them this in his whole household believed. Now don't miss this because how many times in our lives do we either minimize or ignore or try to explain away the miracles and the amazing things that God continues to do in each of our lives? Did you wake up today? If you're here I would consider that God's providence, God's care, God's loving kindness, his faithfulness, him keeping his word to each of us as he continues to draw us into deeper and deeper relationship. But a lot of times we just have things happen and we say, oh, well, that's, that can't be Jesus. That's just, that's just dumb luck. You know, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. That's what this official could have said, right? When, the, when the, the servants come to him and they say, hey, this amazing thing happened, the boy lives, he could have just said, oh, that's great news. It's wonderful news. But no, he says, well, here, let me tell you why. Jesus gave me this promise and the word itself healed the boy. At the exact time that you say he got better, that's when Jesus said, go, your son Will live. He shared the promise with them. And, and the amazing thing about this is that even secondhand, even though they didn't hear the promise with their own ears directly, he proclaimed that promise to them, and the whole household believed. That's us. That is us. When we hear the promises of Jesus proclaimed, then we have the, the choice. We can either choose and trust and lean into that faith that has been given to us with that promise. Or we can say, oh, well, you know, life's just one big, great coincidence. But it isn't. 
So will you lean into and will you trust and will you believe in who this Jesus is? Because that promise brings with it the faith that clings to it. One way leads us into deeper relationship with Jesus and the other continues to try to keep Jesus at a distance, continues to try to put an arm's length distance and say, well, I'm interested, but as long as I can still control the circumstances here, I would really rather Jesus, you just be my personal problem solver. Can we, can we work that out? I'll just call you when I need you. And so when you think about all of that, you think about this, the, the, the natural tendency we have to chase after signs rather than after the Savior. Ask yourself, where, where are you today when it comes to your journey of faith? Where are you at with Jesus? Where are you desperate in your life that you need Jesus to intervene? What are you coming and bringing to him today where you're saying, you know what? I'm at the end of myself. I can't deal with this anymore. Jesus, you have got to come into my life. What do you need to surrender? What, what are you trusting and believing in more than you are believing in him today? What needs to be set aside and put away? What does God need to, to, to break you from in order to be in a deeper and closer relationship with him? Are you ready maybe to come to Jesus for the first time today? Or maybe for the, like I said, the, the thousandth time? Jesus wants to continue to meet you, guide you, lead you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you believe and trust in his promises, then are you actually willing to share that good news with other people? Because a lot of times I find that we're full of faith, but we also tend to be full of ourselves. We think it's all about us and what Jesus has done for me. And we hold that in and we don't share it with anybody else. But when we see what this official did, he didn't have to talk about this with anybody else, but he did, and faith continued to spread. So will you, as a follower of Jesus, go out and share the good news of his faithfulness and his trustworthiness with others? Because his promises are true, and he can be trusted. He is trustworthy and faithful. Will you take him at his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that by the miracle of the gift of Jesus, that you have rescued us, even from ourselves. We ask that you continue to lead and guide us into greater and deeper relationship with you so that we can be closer to you than we ever have been before. Lord, we know it's not our own strength, our own efforts, our own willpower, our own amount of trying to convince ourselves that makes any difference. But it's the faith that you give with the promise of who you are that moves us from death to life. We thank you, Lord. We praise you for who you are, not just for what you've done. We thank you for what you've done but we want to know you like we never have before. Transform us now. Lord, we, we know that it was your word that raised Lazarus from the grave. You just 
simply called out and said, Lazarus, come out. Now here we see this official. You just simply said to him, go, your son will live. We know your word has the power. And we ask, Lord, that right now you do exactly the same thing in each of our lives. Put the old to dead and raise us to new. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.